morning. Welcome to Stony Creek United Methodist Church. I am Pastor Michael. I'm very happy to see you all here today on this beautiful day that God has made. Uh, not necessarily a great day for ducks like last week, but a good day for us who need some vitamin D from the sun. Um, one quick thing I'd like to ask you to do uh, while we go through some announcements, if you would sign in on the uh, books in the pews. Um, if you're a member with us, it helps us just check in, see how you're doing. And if you're a guest with us, uh, we promise we won't bombard you with uh, things. We just like to send a message thanking you for joining us in worship. Um, the Sunday school curriculum has arrived. Um, and so Sarah asked me uh, to let you know that we will uh, have it here. We're going to bring it next Sunday. So anyone who uh, wants to uh, teach one week or is thinking about it, you can see what it looks like. Um, and if you can't be here next Sunday, um, if you contact her on Facebook, um, she can uh, email you a PDF of what the curriculum looks like. So um, please keep that in mind um, as we try to fill those spots for our Sunday school teachers. Normally, I would now look at Barb to say, Barb, what other announcements do we have? Uh, but Barb's not here this morning. So does anybody else have any other announcements? Going once, twice, sold. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to turn things over to our praise band, um, and we're going to get started with worship. Okay, good morning. Instead of the red folder today, we're going to be using two songs from the black hymnal supplement called The Faith We Sing. There should be one near you in the pew. There are black ones and green ones. You need a black one, and if you don't see one, steal from the pew in front of you or behind you, but there should be one for you nearby. Go ahead and turn over to 2087 and stand with us. These, these songs might be new to you, but they're very easy. So if you could stand with us on the first song, and we will sing all four verses, and then on the second song, we'll be seated. This is We Will Glorify the King of Kings.
stand and join me in our opening prayer. Generous God, you gave us our voices to the same, as you did with the leaders of scripture and the prophets you called. You take and touch our lives and they can become extraordinary. And in your church, you have gathered us in your community of common folks and complainers, prophets, and puzzled people. You have called us to make a place for us. So let us say, and we do. We ponder and decide here. We realize to us honest to you as you prepare us for life with the word in which you are praised. Amen. You may be seated. Loving God, you bless us in so many ways, and your mercy and grace ever flowing. Soften our hearts to share from the blessings we receive, our time, our talents, and our tithes, so that your will might be done and your story might be shared across this world. Help us to hold the desire to be agents of change for the better through any and all offerings we make today and always. Amen. rise as you are able and join me in singing our doxology.
Holy One, we commit these offerings and tithes with prayerful minds and quiet hearts. As we give, we also receive. Like the prophets of old, we know that in the silence of prayer, you will enable us to listen to your commands. We are never too young or too old to seek your presence. This time of prayer wraps us in the comfort of your protection and care. Bless us as we seek to bless others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated, and I invite you to join me in the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you now to turn to hymn number 62 in your red hymnals, and join me. We're going to do verses 1 through 4 of All Creatures of Our God and King.
seated. Now is the time that we bring before God and God's people the things that weigh upon our hearts and minds as well as those that give us cause for celebration. Do we have any joys and concerns we'd like to lift up this morning? Anybody? Any updates on your mom, Katie? Three weeks. I'm not sure why she thought she'd be done after only three weeks, but you know, so she's still going. Uh, Pat is again a little confused. She knows pretty much who everyone is, but it still has wild hallucinations. So she's doing good too. Okay, do we have any others? All right, I want to add to our list uh, prayers for. Uh, Our school year starting for all of our students, our teachers, our staff, um, everyone at our schools here locally and and everywhere else. And if you would join me in our call to prayer, we are using Spirit of the Living God, number 393 in your hymnal. please join me in an attitude of prayer. Our God belongs to all people and treasures each individual. Let us pray for them. Holy God, healer and liberator, we lift up before you those people who are at this very moment suffering from either accident, disease, their own folly, or the cruelty of others. Please have mercy on our race, O God. Forgive our human iniquities and heal our many diseases. At this moment, many fellow human beings are crying out against the cruelty of captivity, hostages and abducted children, prisoners of war and political detainees, and many mistakenly convicted. Please have mercy on our race, O God. Forgive our human iniquities and heal our many diseases. At this moment, many of our fellows are suffering physical and mental abuse, battered wives and children, others beaten up by robbers, tortured for information, verbally abused and degenerated, left with unintended wounds and untended wounds, threatened with the injury of loved ones, sexually molested or solely killed. Please have mercy on our race, O God. Forgive our human iniquities and heal our many diseases. At this moment, there are people who are traumatized by sudden injury, 
victims of industry or the highways, soldiers wounded in battle, civilians bombed or terrorized, those maimed by the carelessness of others, and some who for personal thrills have taken big risks and lost. Please have mercy on our race, O God. Forgive our human iniquities and heal our many diseases. At this moment, there are thousands who are in terror or despair because of natural disasters, flood and house fire, cyclone and earthquake, avalanche or brush fire, drought or lightning strike, storm waves or volcanic eruption. Please have mercy on our race, O God. Forgive our human iniquities and heal our many diseases. At this moment, there are many who are preparing for the new school year to begin, both locally here and in many other places. Lord, we lift up our students, our teachers, all of our staff at our schools, and other volunteers who help that our children might learn new things and grow, that our children might make friends have a safe place to ask questions. God, we ask that you continue to watch over all of them. Please keep them safe from the dangerous situations we have seen continue to go through our schools where violence is taken out on many by a single or a few people. God, we ask that you would help us to find ways to help those who are looking to cause harm, who have been hurt themselves, and who are lashing out in the only way they may know how. Help us to be better listeners, to seek out those who have been pushed to the side and pushed out. Help us to draw the circle wider. Help us to be reflections of your love and grace. Holy God, help your church to do whatever we can to lessen the multiple sufferings of humanity. Encourage each of us to rest our own pain and grief in your infinite mercy and to not cease from righteous anger, prayer, and appropriate action while injustice and neglect exist anywhere on this planet. Please have mercy on your church, O God, through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. If you would please join me aloud in our prayer for illumination. Draw us close, Holy Spirit, as the scriptures are read and the word is proclaimed. Let the word of faith be on our lips and in our hearts, and let all other words slip away. May there be one voice we hear today, the voice of truth and grace. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verses 28 through 33. And in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 878. The book of Daniel was written while the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon and other places. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said, 
Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as these words were being left his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and give them anything he wishes. Immediately that had been done about Nebuchadnezzar was filled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like ox. His body was drenched with dew of heaven until hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of birds. The words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please stand for our next thing, hymn, All Things Bright and Beautiful, in the hymnal, page 147.
You may be seated. Our second scripture reading for this morning can be found beginning on page 878 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, This is continuing uh, from where Dave was reading, uh, the fourth chapter of Daniel, uh, verses 34 through 37. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the power of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you would please join me in an attitude of prayer. Patient and loving God, we pray for your peace to cover this earth. Your children are warring and fighting. Every day we are bombarded with images and stories that overwhelm and depress us. Everything feels out of control and upside down. But then we remember that you and you alone are truly in control. Help us to trust you and to seek out the quiet moments that can allow our minds and our spirits rest. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together in this place be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. Well, here we are. It is the final week of our... Sorry. Tablet's not behaving this morning. Let's try this again. Okay, so we're in the final week of our August sermon series, Biblical Breakdowns. Throughout this series, we have been looking at some of the people that we find in Scripture who were facing some challenging situations and struggled with a breakdown. Each week, we've looked at what happens in the story uh, to the primary person or persons that leads them to their breakdowns, where and how God is active in that story, And then how everything is resolved, if in fact it is, and how that plays out. It's my hope that through our examination of these stories that we've hopefully found some level of comfort in the reality that even some of the most well-known people from Scripture have struggled and even had breakdowns. Now last week we followed Peter as he denied Jesus three times, 
and then comes to find that he is still forgiven when he meets Jesus again with some of the other disciples on the shore. Peter's panic attack and and feelings of being overwhelmed led him to deny his friendship with and following of Jesus as fear overtook him. But again, his story does work out okay. The week before that, the second week of our series, we were exploring the story of Elijah and his fleeing into the wilderness as death threats followed him from Queen Jezebel. She was upset with him because he had killed the prophets of Baal who were especially loyal to her. Elijah actually gets to the point, you may remember, where he asks God to take his life. But instead, God feeds and restores Elijah and sends him on to do more prophet work. And then the week before that, the very first week of our series, we venture along with Moses and the people of Israel. Oh, the people of Israel, such a happy and content bunch, right? Yeah. Well, the people were complaining again, shocker. And God kind of loses patience. And poor Moses is driven to his breaking point. And just like Elijah, he too asks God to take his life and end the circus train that leading these people has been for him. Again, though, God does something else. Here, he helps Moses to get assistance in managing the people, and he is able to continue to lead them towards the promised land. So now for this final week of biblical breakdowns, we're going back to the Old Testament and a story of a breakdown quite unlike the other three. Where the previous weeks we had people who were overwhelmed and overburdened, this week we get to see what I can really only describe as a complete break with reality. This was a story that I know I have read many times in my life, but one that for one reason or another I seem to have completely forgotten about until I was putting this series together. The book of Daniel has many interesting stories and and dreams told within it. But this time it is reality that seems to get out of whack, at least for one person. So let's go back to our readings from the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel. The first reading that Dave started us with begins with the words, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I feel like that was put in because of what follows in this story seems like a bit of a tall tale. Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, which apparently was a thing you could do. And he says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? How humble of him. <clears throat> and I was, when I was reading his words, I was wondering just what Nebuchadnezzar had actually built. Um, sometimes people in power exaggerate. Well, don't we all? He makes it sound like he did something really significant, really amazing, but he also really sounds kind of full of himself. So I dug and dug to find out just what Nebuchadnezzar could really claim 
for his legacy. And I will admit I was actually rather impressed. According to historians, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was quite the prolific builder. Some sources even estimate that his workers used over 15 million bricks in his building projects. His greatest work is considered the rebuilding of the great capital city. Nebuchadnezzar was still pretty full of himself, though. He knew that Egyptian pharaohs and Meso—I'm going to butcher this one—Mesopotamian monarchs had been erased from history by resentful and envious successors. So to make sure that, that he couldn't be forgotten about or erased by whoever might follow him, he had an inscription put on every single brick. These square clay building blocks carried the words, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who provides for the temples Ezegila and Ezida, the eldest son of Nabopolazar, king of Babylon, am I. How nice of him. And because of him doing this, Nebuchadnezzar bricks are actually a relatively common sight in ancient history museums all around the world. At the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, there is a dedication cylinder with an inscription that reads in part, I built a strong wall that cannot be shaken with bitumen and baked bricks. I laid its foundation on the breast of the netherworld, and I built its top as high as a mountain. The fortifications of Ezelga and Babylon, I strengthened and established the name of my reign forever. Wow. And I thought Kanye West was full of himself. In all honesty, though, it's, it's really not that unusual for an ancient king to be such a vainglorious braggart. But such pride seems ever so likely to lead to some downfall at some point. And it does. Going back to our reading, it says, Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he grew hair like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. So yeah, I think saying that Nebuchadnezzar had a complete break with reality is a pretty fair assessment of the situation when you look at what he went and did. 
Now, there are some historians who have described this story or event as being fictional. And there are three primary claims that they offer to support this. First, they claim that we know too much about Nebuchadnezzar's life, and the historical record doesn't allow for seven missing years during his reign. Secondly, if Nebuchadnezzar had or was in fact incapacitated by mental illness, surely some other ambitious noble would have eliminated him to be able to take over the throne. And thirdly, no other contemporary historical record reports this event as we might expect if Nebuchadnezzar had suffered such a fate. Now I will say these do sound like compelling arguments. But they're wrong. Or at the very least, there are valid reasons to disagree with them. For the first one, the historical record not allowing for seven missing years during Nebuchadnezzar's reign, the problem here is that in some ways we do know a great deal about his life, but only for a while. Paul Ferguson, a professor of the Old Testament, wrote that meticulous historical records are available up to about the 11th year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, after which the chronicles are practically silent. So something was certainly amiss during the latter part of his reign. And Nebuchadnezzar had the longest reign of any king of the Babylonian Empire at almost 43 years. So there's 22 years that aren't really accounted for. And so little is known about so many of those later years, there really can't be a basis for claiming that too much is known about his reign to allow for a seven-year time period to be missing. We have 22 years. We don't have any records. Seven years fits inside that pretty easy. What about number two, the idea that if he was severely impaired, someone would have come along and assassinated him to take over the throne. Well, while this might make sense in what we read in books and see in movies or TV shows like Game of Thrones, many historical examples argue otherwise. For example, King George III of England famously struggled with mental illness for decades. And in fact, the last 10 years of his life, he was incapacitated to the point that a regent had to be appointed to carry out his royal functions. And George, he died of natural causes at a fairly old age. We even find a similar example in the Bible in the book of Jeremiah where the son and eventual successor of Nebuchadnezzar, known to history as Amel Marduk, He served as regent during his father's incapacity. incapacity. I don't know why I can't say that today. Also, in the ancient Middle East, the mentally ill were sometimes regarded with a superstitious fear, as it was thought that they had a special channel to the divine. And so their ravings were often examined for evidence of inspiration. Because of this, many cultures thought it was bad luck to kill a mentally ill person. 
it's thought that this is the reason why David, before he became king, feigned insanity while amongst the Philistines in Gath, as told in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 13. And in doing so, it seems that that might have saved David's life because the Philistines had wanted to kill him. But if he's feigning insanity, but they don't know he's faking it, they might have left him alone. In fact, they did. So in contrast to what we might assume, there really is not a good reason to assume or suppose that Nebuchadnezzar would have been murdered during his period of hanging out with the animals and eating grass. His son, he may have been happy to wait for his father's natural death, as in the meantime, he got to enjoy all the privileges of full kingship while serving as prince regent. He essentially was acting as the king while his father was incapacitated, so he had no reason to rush his father's death. He was already enjoying what he'd get eventually anyway, and by not killing him, it didn't create controversy, and things just kept moving along. Finally, the question on why the contemporary historical record is silent on the subject of Nebuchadnezzar's period of insanity We need to keep a few things in mind as we look at this. Ancient historical records were seldom written to be objective. Instead, they often served as national propaganda. So public monuments would record victories, but very rarely defeats. Accomplishments of a ruler were boasted of and often embellished. It's not unusual to read on ancient monuments boastful accounts of successful military campaigns, the construction of some new palace, the unsurpassed wealth of a ruler. Things that did not serve to flatter or elevate the esteem of the sovereign were almost never recounted. They do say that history is written by the winners. We also need to remember that the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Everybody got that one? The fact that little or no historical evidence exists on a certain topic or certain event doesn't mean that it never happened. It could simply mean that the event was not uh, sufficiently recorded by historians There are two events in the book of Ezekiel that recount military campaigns of Nebuchadnezzar that contemporary historians were generally silent on. And yet, archaeological evidence has shown that both of those events did take place. That's right. The archaeological record shows that the Bible was correct in recording these two military events, and it's not the first time that something like this has happened where the Bible describes an event and contemporary historians have nothing to say about it, and then years later, an archaeological dig or places they're working, evidence is found that proves this to have actually happened. Everybody got that? Because there's going to be a quiz later. All right, anyway. Going back to our second reading 
that continues where the first left off. We find that after seven years, Nebuchadnezzar has his sanity restored, and he accepts and even praises God and the authority and power of God. I do have to wonder, seven years of eating grass, how has that not come up as a diet fad yet in our world? Even though his apparent madness or case of mental illness is accredited to God's actions, this is still clearly a breakdown that Nebuchadnezzar experiences. Yes, his was not brought on by stress necessarily, or an overwhelming situation like some of the others we have studied, although I would argue for some people hearing a voice coming out of the sky basically condemning their actions might be enough to give you a panic attack or an overwhelming, stressful situation. You could, though, argue it was his good fortune and lofty position of which he was so proud that led to his breakdown. And when you think about it that way, again, if he believed his own propaganda, having someone challenge it, especially in this case, a higher power, could be enough to mess him up. I will admit that this story does potentially paint God in a less than loving light. God according to the story, does bring Nebuchadnezzar out of his madness, though. Still, seven years living with the animals, eating grass, becoming disheveled, not what I would call a fun time. And while I don't think that we are likely in any position to question God's plans, this story does not specifically show God's love and mercy as we see in the stories of Moses, Elijah, and Peter. I suppose you could argue that by humbling Nebuchadnezzar, the people under him were probably given a little more grace and mercy, so by extension, we are seeing some of God's love there. I do think, though, we can make the argument that God was merciful to Nebuchadnezzar because in the end, He does bring him out of this madness and gives him the second chance to acknowledge God and live a more humble life. If God was truly cruel, God could have left him out in the field eating grass till the day he died. And I feel like we can take this lesson and and be satisfied with it. Because when we think about it, even when we are disobedient and sinful— God still loves us and forgives us. God still walks beside us and does not abandon us. I would call that good news. Amen. If you would rise as you are able for our closing hymn number 152, I sing the almighty power of God.
Siblings in Christ, go now and embrace the hope to which God has called us. Recognize Christ in friend and stranger. And as Christ has been gracious to you, so be gracious to those in need. And now may God give you a place of rest on rich pasture. May Christ be the shepherd king who binds your wounds. May the Holy Spirit give you wisdom and reveal to you the fullness of the one who fills all in all. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. Amen.